great to be here this morning. I don't know if you feel that, but I think it's been a great service already. I'm too <laughs> Carrie, you are very welcome to go. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know how to move on from that. Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we've got a fantastic passage this morning. It's absolute cracker. It's one that you've heard before. It, our kids are studying it in Sunday school, but this is not a passage for kids. This is actually right at the heart of what it means to be a person of faith as opposed to being someone of religion. So um, it starts with a question. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Fantastic question. It's super clear and direct. Jesus, what do I have to do to have the fullness of life that God brings? I hope you're asking that question. Um, I hope you're asking of Jesus, Jesus, how do I have that eternal life that you bring? Life within me that's welling up and gives joy to my soul. How do I have that kind of life? The life that comes only from a relationship with you. Because Jesus is the answer to that question. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Phenomenal question. How do I have that life? The only real problem with this question, as this man asks it, is that he isn't really asking the question. He knows the answer. He's using this as a test. Uh, in Scripture, right throughout the Scriptures, God has been really consistent in answering this question. How do you have life with me? In Micah 6.8, it says, He's shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk, walk humbly with your God. In the book of Deuteronomy, so Deuteronomy that lays out the laws of God that will be a foundation for his people, says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. It goes on to say, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're on the road. Write them on the door frames of your houses. Dwell on these things. God gave Moses these two stone tablets with the commandments written on it. One, a set of five, were about how to love God well. The other set of five were about how to love our neighbours. And so... We get back to the question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus answered. Do this, and you will live. Jesus' answer to this man is, you're correct. That is what life with God looks like. If you want eternal life, live like that. There's only really two problems that I see with that answer. First is it's quite vague. Uh, what does it actually mean to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? 
how do you boil that down into something that you can do? A set of dot points that you can tick off? Which is what I think this man was looking for. God, I just want the list so I can know that I'm doing it, so that I can control it, so that I can be sure that I have earned life with you. I don't know about you, but do you feel the temptation for that, the desire for that? The security of being able to say, here's the list and I'm okay. I measure up to the standard that is required. I, I love the idea of having that certainty. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Really interesting word. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to know for sure. He wanted to prove that he was right. He wanted to show that he had things together. So he said, who is my neighbor? Getting some of that clarity. Who is the person that I have to love? In other words, give me a definition of what love looks like. Give me a definition of how to love my neighbor. Write me a list and I'll do it. Actually, his question is probably more like, give me your list and I'll check it against my list and see if you've put a foot out somewhere so that then I can turn on you and condemn you. He was trying to test Jesus. It's, um, it's this way of thinking that is simultaneously very arrogant. Like, who is this man to think he can live up to the full demands of the love of God for his neighbor and for God? At the same time, it's pathetic. It is a pathetic view of love that thinks you can boil it down to a list of things that you can do. Uh, Song of Solomon says, Love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Just remember that today on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Can you um, uh, just imagine with me for a second... Imagine me coming to Beck, and um, Beck's featured twice in the last two weeks in the sermon. She loves that. Um, imagine me coming to Beck and saying, can you just write down for me all the things I need to do to love you perfectly? <laughs> I look forward to reading that list. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all right, I'll, uh, I know what next week's message will be about. Oh, no, Neil's preaching next week. <laughs> it's a ridiculous idea, though, to think that you can define it down like that. When I got married, when we got married, the promises we made to one another was everything, whatever it takes. Uh, we will give everything to one another, whatever is needed. We weren't trying to find the minimum we weren't trying to say, what's the absolute essentials that we have to do and no more, let me do that. We said, I'm going to love you to the best of my ability. Even without a list, though, I know I fall short. 
I know I don't live up to the um, fullness of love. Maybe you're a bit better than I am, but I don't think anyone lives up to the full requirements of love. We're all learning, we're all trying our best, but we all fall short. That's the problem that I have with this question. Who is my neighbour? How do I love? What are the things I have to do? It's the wrong question. We can't narrow down the love of God and love of neighbour to a point where we can write it down as a list or control it. Uh, We can't tie it up with a bow. We can't say, this is what it looks like, A, B, C, D, (laughs) Z. (laughs) Um, As much as religious people will try and do that, there are many people in this world that will try and get everything locked down to a point and say, this is what it looks like to do it perfectly, and look at me, I do it perfectly, and you too can do it perfectly. The trouble with that is it's a lie, and Jesus never offered that kind of life. Jesus doesn't offer the kind of life where you can do it perfectly. He doesn't say, you have to hit all these things, and then you'll be my follower. He doesn't give us law. Uh, I think it's so good that this message comes after the one from last week. For those who are there, we talked about someone who didn't tick any of the boxes, who was a sinful woman whose life fell short, a woman who knew that she, by the grace of God, had been saved and set free. And her response wasn't trying to do the minimum or trying to tick the boxes. It was just this act of overwhelming thankfulness and abundance and going way above and beyond. It was the response of a joyful heart to something that hadn't been deserved. I love that. But here is someone in this story who's trying to do the opposite, who's trying to set up this way of life that is all locked down, and he follows after this incredible, generous, wholehearted response. Asking a question about the limits, the minimum, what we have to do, is the wrong question. Um, I did a little bit of Googling this week. Um, I'm very adept at Googling. Um, If someone is injured by the side of the road, do you know that legally you do not have to stop and help them. Unless you're the person who caused the injury or you have an existing relationship with them or probably in Niali's case, uh, if you're a doctor, <laughs> you do. Sorry, Niali. Us pastors, we're useless. We, we can just keep walking by. <laughs> um, you don't have to stop if someone is injured by the side of the road. Uh, there's probably reasons why you might not want to you might think it was a trap. You might not have the skills to be able to help. Um, But did you also know that if you do stop, then you take on responsibility for getting that person to the care of someone else. They become your responsibility until you can hand them on to someone who can take care of them. You assume responsibility by that act of stopping. Um, So that's my little legal lesson. 
We don't have too many lawyers here this morning, that's good, so um, I've probably just butchered that a little bit, but big picture, that's how it works. I want you to keep that in mind as we read this story from Jesus, because this kind of understanding of how the law works has been pretty set for a very long time. Good teacher, uh, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have had. Which of these do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love the fact that the teacher in the law can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. It's so offensive to him that their religious enemies would be the hero in this story, the one who helped him. Um, law, ticking the box, is about obligation. What are the things I have to do? Do you know what the key word in this story is? Kerry, you can shout out at this point. Yeah. All right. It would be, but it's not in the story. <laughs> yeah, you're on the right track. Uh, mercy compassion. Uh, I think in our translation it had pity. I love the word compassion some translations use. The difference, um, you can't legislate compassion. You can't make a law around compassion. I've been trying as a father to make a law around compassion in my household, but you can't actually put rules around it. Um, compassion is about seeing yourself uh, in someone else. It's about putting yourself in their shoes and responding with empathy and kindness. The different responses in this story hinge on the people's willingness to identify with the other. The priests and Levites walk by because they're concerned about themselves. They don't put themselves in the other man's shoes. Uh, their attitude is, I'm trying to keep myself holy and separate and do everything I need to do to be a good person and please God, and I don't want to end up like that man over there, so I'm not going to go near him just in case. I'm over here, he's over there, and I'm so glad I'm over here and I'm going to stay as far away from that man as I can. Ultimately, it's a response of fear. The fear is, if I go over there, I might end up like him. If I go over there, I might not fulfill all the obligations that I have to do to be a holy person. I might not get to serve in the temple 
because I've touched a dead body and that makes me unclean and that means I won't be able to do what I need to do for God because I'll be an unclean person. For the Samaritan, on the other hand, there's this recognition of commonality. I am just like him. There but for the grace of God go I. Um, He's filled with compassion. This man is a man in need of help. And I can offer something in this situation. He responds in love. Uh, There's a great poem, um, probably my favourite poem. It's by Michael Lunig. I just wanted to read it to you. It says, There are only two feelings, love and fear. Only two languages, love and fear. There are only two activities, love and fear. There are only two motives, two procedures, two frameworks, two results, love and fear. Love and fear. We have a choice as human beings. We can limit ourselves. We can close ourselves off from others and turn in on ourselves. Or we can be open. We can turn outwards. We can live with compassion and grace. Love and fear, they are the two choices. We can stop trying to justify ourselves and be perfect and can live in the freedom and grace that flows from knowing the perfect love of God, knowing that I no longer have to earn something, knowing that I have received abundantly so I can give abundantly. Faith in Jesus Christ is that decision to receive the generous love of God and then to live out that generosity and that love, to open up, to choose the way of love. Uh, We call this parable the parable of the Good Samaritan. I get why, but I think a better title for it is actually the view from the ditch. Because um, ultimately this parable isn't about identifying with the Samaritan. It's about identifying with the person in the ditch. It's about seeing through their eyes. Do you want to know who your neighbour is? Ask yourself, when you are lying in a ditch, beaten, naked and in need of help, who would you want your neighbour to be? The answer may surprise you is what Jesus tells us in this story. It may not even be your national, religious, and political enemy. It may be a port supporter or a Victorian, even though we've got compassion for the Victorians at this stage and they're no longer our enemy. I like that we've uh, moved on from that. Um, The point of this story, the point that Jesus is making is that any port is good in a storm. Or... um, In the words of William Shakespeare from the play The Tempest, uh, which is a really colonial play when you read it nowadays, but um, he wrote it beautifully. It says, Misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. When you're in need, you often find strange friends. (laughs) Oh. Uh, yep. <laughs> Shakespeare, mate. 
old English. Um, I wasn't thinking of this when I wrote my sermon, but I would encourage you to be a strange bedfellow. Uh, be the kind of people that surprisingly care when others are in need. Um, Martin Luther King said this, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. I love that idea. The story that Jesus is telling us is about seeing through the eyes of others. It's about putting into practice the thing that he taught to love our enemies. Do you want to know how to love your enemy? This is how to do it. Um, He taught us to do to others what we would have them do for us. That's what this story is about. Um, He's not giving us a list of rules. He's not saying you have to tick off all these boxes. He's saying this is the way you are now free to live. You can care about the rules and yourself or you can live in the freedom that comes from knowing me, the way of love. The one thing that strikes me as um, I read through the whole of Luke and read this story in the context of it is that this is what Jesus himself is about to do. He is heading on this road that he is talking about. He's heading up to Jerusalem. Um, He will do just this. He will put himself in our place. He will come in compassion and respond to our need and he will be beaten and give his life for us. He will set us free from the demands of the law. We no longer have to tick the boxes because we are no longer under law but under grace through what Jesus Christ has done. Eternal life. Getting back to the original question, what must I do to have eternal life? Eternal life is about stepping into that way of life and love that comes from knowing Jesus. You don't have to do a whole bunch of things. You have to receive the love of God. Let it come into your heart and then live it out. Let it flow through us, this generous, costly, transformative life of God. It's about being compassionate and seeing others as our neighbours. And once we do that, we can't help but respond in love. We can't help but live a life of love. Um, It doesn't come from obligation. It comes from the grace and freedom that we now stand in. We do to others what God has done for us. So, um, as I finish, my message this morning is be people moved by love. Don't try and be perfect and live up to a whole bunch of rules. Um, But be people that know the love of God and respond in love yourself. Um, Our mission statement here at uh, Glen Osmond is life abundant in Jesus, flowing from Jesus as a community, lived out together for the world in this compassionate response. Uh, We love God, love one another and love our neighbours. That's what life looks like. That's what we're here to do. Um, Again, Michael Lunig said, love one another and you'll be happy. It's as simple and difficult as that.
There is no other way. Go and do likewise. I am... I'm going to finish there, but I am going to give you a couple of tips just as I finish up because uh, we do still need some direction. First thing I want to say is get the order right. Don't try and go and love people so that God will love you. It really matters the order that you get it in. The motivation is not obligation. It's not guilt. It's not trying to earn something. God moved first. It flows out of identity. We are the loved, blessed, abundantly um, showered with blessing. And because of that, we are now free to move in love. And secondly, my second uh, point is be a lifelong learner. You can't perfect this, but you can get better at it. You can learn how to do it well. Um, Faith is a process. It's about learning to live in the life of Jesus. We will get it wrong. We'll get out of whack. We'll make mistakes. Um, We'll get the balance wrong between loving God and loving neighbor. Sometimes we'll focus too much on just receiving the blessing of God. Sometimes we'll focus too much on going out and doing things. You know your personality. You know which way you slide on that scale. Be a lifelong learner. Uh, recognize that, come back to Jesus and say, teach me again how to live like you, how to follow in your footsteps and be shaped by you. Um, I'm actually really excited. We've got Mary and Martha next week. Neil's speaking to us about that. And that's about kind of the opposite problem. Martha being so busy doing everything for other people that she didn't just stop and receive and sit at the feet of Jesus when she needed to. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to finish now. Beck's giving me the... uh... All right, I'm going to pray. (laughs) Lord Jesus, we praise you and worship you that you have given yourself for us, that you've set us free from the obligation of trying to live up to perfection. Thank you that we stand in grace and blessing. May that sink deep into our soul. May we be the kind of people who turn outwards, who put ourselves in other people's shoes, who learn from you the ways of grace, who humbly recognise our limits, but also recognise our privilege. May we uh, worship and honour you and be people of compassion and grace, we pray. Amen. Um, just before the kids come in and join us in their merry way, um, Gab had some tips for you for.